0: Welcome to the Eyes on Retina podcast series by Boeinger Ingelheim. Vision impairment and blindness caused by retinal disease can have a profound and devastating impact on the lives of those affected, their family, and society as a whole. 2.2 billion people worldwide have vision impairment or blindness, of which at least 1 billion could have been prevented. Globally, The prevalence rates of retinal diseases are expected to increase over the next 10 years, primarily due to the aging populations and the global diabetes epidemic. In this podcast series, we hear from a range of ophthalmology experts involved in the care for people living with retinal diseases such as wet age-related macular degeneration, geographic atrophy, and diabetic retinopathy, as well as people living with these conditions. Hello, my name is Peter Kaiser. I am the Cheney Family Endowed Chair in Ophthalmology Research and Professor of Ophthalmology at the Cleveland Clinic Lerner College of Medicine. And today I'll be hosting this episode of Eyes on Retina, exploring geographic atrophy. In the first episode, we started exploring age-related macular degeneration, a condition that affects approximately 196 million people worldwide. We focused on the wet form, which tends to be more aggressive, causing greater and more rapid vision loss. In this episode, we will be turning our attention to geographic atrophy. Geographic atrophy is the most severe advanced form of dry age-related macular degeneration. It is a progressive, irreversible retinal disease and a leading cause of blindness worldwide. The condition affects more than 7 million people. Currently, there are no treatments available to prevent either the onset or to slow the progression of geographic atrophy. However, in recent years, progress has been made in understanding the pathogenesis of geographic atrophy, which has led to the initiation of several clinical trials evaluating potential treatments. So on that note, I'd like to pause today and talk about my guests. I'm joined by a retinal specialist, Professor Usha Shakaratri, Professor of Ophthalmology and Vision Science at Queen's University of Belfast. And she has a wealth of experience in working with people living with geographic atrophy. In addition, we have a patient, Mr. David Matthews from London. He has been living with geographic atrophy since 2016 and now is an active member of a patient organization supporting people living with macular diseases. So for our listeners to get to know us a little better, I have a question for both of you. As both scientific studies as well as anecdotal evidence has suggested that people who experience vision loss often develop the more enhanced sense, oftentimes hearing. So in that case, they may enjoy music differently from non-visually impaired people. So for our listeners, we'll start with you, Usha. What music would you put as a soundtrack to your life and
1: why? I would go for one of the Verdi operas. I absolutely adore Rigoletto and Don Carlos, so that would be my background music.
0: How about you, David? What music would you say is the soundtrack of your life?
2: I quite like uh, guitar music, uh, electric guitar, you know, rock, that sort of thing. I used to quite like uh, a Chris Rea track called The Road to Hell. Uh, I used to do a lot of driving, uh, you know, when I was working and uh, when I was stuck on a, an orbital motorway around London going nowhere. I used to uh, hum that to myself to try and boost my spirits.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. For me, it's uh, probably the music of Bruce Springsteen, partly because I grew up in the 80s. Uh, so in the US, my hometown, two streets over, Bruce Springsteen lived. And so that was the, the time of his born in the USA album, which many people consider one of the greatest rock albums. So if I need to relax, I'll put on the so-called boss, Bruce Springsteen.
1: Very different taste, I note.
0: <laughs> well, today we're talking about geographic atrophy, and, and for many, uh, wet macular degeneration is very clear. But geographic atrophy is, is much more of a of a hidden box, so to speak. So, Usha, can you just kind of describe to our listeners what is geographic atrophy?
1: Geographic atrophy is one of the advanced forms of age-related macular degeneration, as you already pointed out. In this condition, there is a deterioration of the tissues of the outer retina comprising the photoreceptors, the retinal pigment epithelium, and the choroid capillaris, and eventually complete disappearance of these layers, which results in a patch of missing cells, and therefore, there is loss of function.
0: It's interesting. So, in the previous episode, we discussed wet macular degeneration, uh, and we talked now that geographic atrophy is, is the advanced form of dry macular degeneration. Maybe for our listeners, can you just kind of differentiate between wet and dry macular degeneration?
1: Of course. So, when somebody has macular degeneration, we often see this sort of lumpy, bumpy material that accumulates at the level of the retinal pigment epithelium called drusen. In some people, the presence of drusen triggers the onset of new vessels that grow from the choroid, that's the vascular coat, breach the retinal pigment epithelium and come to lie in the subretinal space. And in some other cases, or some other people, you find that abnormal blood vessel complexes develop within the retina. In a proportion of people, the new vessels do not develop, and instead, you get cellular death becomes the most obvious characteristic or the obvious feature.
0: That's interesting. So for our listeners, um, is the prevalence of the two similar, or are they different?
1: There's a lot of data from epidemiological studies. When the the first epidemiological studies seemed to imply that geographic atrophy was less frequent, probably for every case of GA that one saw, you saw three times the number of wet AMD. However, in work that has been done more recently, it would appear that the initial process of progression from the early intermediate AMD, this is what we call drusen, would suggest that there's some degree of atrophy happening, even in these eyes, except that it's not so obvious. I would say that they're both equally common. And once you suppress the exudative manifestations associated with wet AMD, the phenotype, the picture turns to one of atrophy.
0: And I think it's important to understand there's a continuum here. It's it's not one or the other. Uh, and many people kind of like to bucket things into one or the other. And that's really not the case with macular degeneration. Specifically looking at sort of what are some of the factors that uh, may lead to this, Yusha, what are some of the risk factors? Are there genetic risk factors for people developing geographic atrophy?
1: Yes. I think the you can look at risk factors in three broad groups. First, of course, is age. The older you are, the more likely you are to exhibit these uh, characteristics. Secondly, genetics. If you have an affected relative, particularly first-degree relatives, parents, siblings, who have, who suffers from age-related macular degeneration, you're more likely to have it too. And thirdly, there are the environmental risk factors, you know, cigarette smoking is an important risk factor. And, and this shows that oxidative stress, which is part and parcel of cigarette smoking, has an impact on the tissues, the, these critical tissues in the posterior pole of the eye, and that the pathological processes that are happening at the back of the eye as a consequence of oxidative stress are clearly having an impact on the rapidity of degeneration. Genetics is particularly interesting because it has given us insight into some of the pathogenetic mechanisms that are instrumental in the development of late-stage AMD, even early AMD.
0: So that's interesting, David. When you first started noticing problems, why don 't you just kind of explain you know sort of what was happening when you first found out that you were were having issues with your eyesight? What were you doing and and how did it
2: appear first problem really appeared when I started driving at night. I used to do quite a bit of driving for my 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 job and uh I found that I was getting sort of dazzled from headlights coming the other way. And the other problem was uh, in sort of country roads where there was no uh, streetlights or anything, I was driving really slowly from what I could see from my own headlights. So that's how it started.
0: You know, this decrease in, in, in ability to see at night, Usha, is this a common symptom of macular degeneration?
2: Yes, it is.
1: The function of the retinal pigment epithelium is to ensure that there is adequate cycling of the photopigments and when the RPE is damaged by the accumulation of debris there's an interference of the biochemical processes that are needed to regenerate the photopigment for the eye to see effectively and well and therefore it is not at all surprising that one has an impaired dark adaptation process uh, in people with early intermediate AMD, and particularly they're suffering quite badly with delayed dark adaptation. In some studies, it has been shown to be a predictor of progression, more rapid progression to the late stages.
0: Speaking of later stages, what are some of the symptoms that occur uh, over time in someone with geographic atrophy?
1: Most of my patients tell me that they start to have difficulty with reading. Now, uh, David is slightly on the younger side and therefore he noticed the symptoms while driving, whereas a large proportion of my patients are in their late 70s and early 80s, many with a lot of comorbidities. So some of them have already given up driving. So driving is not the one symptom that they focus on. However, what they like to do is watch television and read and they find that these Activities are considerably impaired and particularly at times such as, you know, twilight when light is dimming and in the winter months when light levels are lower, they begin to run into difficulty. Then they try to adjust by adding artificial light to their environment and and, and um, it helps up to a point. the The biggest complaint often is reading inability to read fluently, uh, and they find reading becomes more and more tiresome because words disappear when they try to follow a sentence.
0: So, David, you're a chemical engineer, and you should just describe sort of the natural history. Why don't, walk us through. You know, started off with driving problems. What what kind of happened next?
2: What happened next was uh, when when I was back in the office, I suddenly realised that uh, you know everyone is sort of computer based. You know, needs the computer every day. That I needed additional light for my keyboard, and that's and then so I had to have extra lighting provisions. You know, uh, locally on my keyboard. Then I started finding that what I was seeing on the screen was getting less clear. And what I found also equally important was uh, seeing people's faces in detail was getting more difficult, especially if the light wasn't very good. And then it progressed on, really, to not being able to read very well. Or, and as I am now, I can't read at all.
0: So when you first were noticing problems, you went to see your doctor. And and really, walk us through, how do they tell you your diagnosis what did they how did they explain it to you
2: well they explained that uh, it is a gradual sight loss problem you don't go totally blind there wasn't any known treatment but take a, a food supplement so that was about it really i didn't really get very much more about how it was going to progress the disease
0: so so you have a patient like david it comes into your practice um how do you diagnose macular degeneration and, and specifically geographic atrophy in this patient?
1: In the first instance, see, a slit lamp by microscopy, where you look into the retina and check it out, and just to make sure that there isn't anything else that's happening, we also want to make sure that there is no cataract because, you know, in the, in the age group that geographic atrophy appears, quite often there are concomitant lens capacities and you want to make sure that as much light will get in as possible and optical coherence tomography fantastic too we are able to see the retina in um, not just as, as sort of on fast but also looking at it in depth so it's quite easy to make the diagnosis of atrophy and we can see very clearly the loss of the outer retina the retinal pigment epithelium the, the choroid capillaries i also want to make sure that we are not misdiagnosing it as geographic atrophy because there are other mimics and so it's important to be aware that you you look for the presence of drusen and and autofluorescence is very helpful because uh, the alteration of the patterns of autofluorescence, particularly around the borders and margins of geographic atrophy, can tell us that this is more likely to be typical age related macular degeneration related atrophy as opposed to something like um, single gene disorders.
0: So, David brought up some interesting facets at his first visit with his doctor you know, to me, kind of explaining dry macular degeneration, geographic atrophy to a patient is very challenging. How do you speak to patients about what their life will hold at this first visit where you're giving them the diagnosis?
1: Uh, Well, I tell my patients that it's a bilateral condition. I talk to them about the level of visual acuity that they have. The patient has got sufficient vision impairment. We arrange for an assessment of their reading ability and some discussion on how best to maximise their visual potential. I walk them through the imaging modalities. I show them pictures of the back of their eyes, both the right eye and the left eye, point out where the Atrophy is located if it is o- obvious and overt. And I try to get across the view that progression can vary from person to person, and that the, at the first visit, it's almost impossible to tell how rapid or how slow the progression would be. A review at some stage later, three or six months, gives you a much better idea of the rate of progression that that particular patient is going to have. And so that discussion comes more at the second visit rather than at the very first one. It is a very emotive area because there is no treatment at the moment, no approved treatment for geographic atrophy. And furthermore, it is important to explain to the patient that they do need to be aware that there is other manifestation of AMD which can result in sudden and rapid deterioration of function over and above what they're already experiencing. So I tell them to look out for a sudden change in their site, which might happen over a period of days or weeks, and that would be an alert for them to contact the clinic again.
0: And I think it's important also, many of these patients, especially at the first diagnosis, have heard of Macular degeneration, and they're terrified about the idea that they're going to lose their sight completely uh, in both eyes. And so, it's something that I stress with my patients that that in general, uh, with this disease, you obviously don't lose all your vision. You may lose uh, your central vision, but peripheral vision is never affected. From your standpoint, David, uh, how how have you done from a day to day manner? Living with geographic atrophy, how has your day changed?
2: Okay, my day has changed. Uh, you have to make adjustments. Uh, so I have a, a range of additional lighting. You know, very strong portable torches. Um, I also can still use uh, a tablet and a, and a smartphone with the. You know, you learn all. They all come with accessibility features. Uh, Nothing is perfect but you 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 do what you can you you try very simple things color coordination to make sure there's a a differential in color schemes uh writing is very very difficult um and you have to have sort of like yellow paper and sort a of big fat sort of felt hit pen to write on see it reading is the, is the biggest challenge really it really is a, a, a challenge so you you just have to change from sort of reading books to audiobooks and wish you know i wish i'd found audiobooks years ago <laughs> they're great
0: so Usha, is geographic atrophy a, a quick disease uh, or is it a slow disease what's what's the common pace and timeline of geographic atrophy
1: on average it takes somewhere between one and two years for patients to go from being able to drive to not being able to drive and this is in the 70-plus age group. In terms of rapidity of progression, in the early phases, people can lose the ability to read and drive very critically important functions, but severe vision loss takes a great deal longer.
0: So David mentioned that his doctor on first diagnosis told him there's no treatments available for this disease. Why is it that there, there are treatments, actually many treatments, right now, for wet macular degeneration, but none for geographic atrophy?
1: Well, wet macular degeneration, we are merely attempting to stop the exudative manifestations, and we found a very effective molecule and VEGF, which you know the which triggers off both the development of these new vessels, which form in the macula of the eye, as well as causes the vessels to leak. And the leakage is the biggest driver of the reduction in function of the macular tissues. So as a consequence, we have anti-VEGF agents. You can block VEGF and you can improve function. Whereas geographic atrophy is cell death and we have no magic bullet to stop the cells from dying in this low-grade progressive degenerative process. But there is light at the end of the tunnel, as you well know, Peter. I mean, you're involved in a lot of these ongoing clinical trials, which are utilizing the information that we have with regard to immunomodulation.
0: Yeah. So if you look at geographic atrophy, it's one of the areas of very great clinical research. As Usha mentioned earlier, we're looking at aspects of the immune system, specifically the complement system and abnormalities within it, uh, which increase the risk of developing macular degeneration. And maybe if we block some of these factors or replace some of these factors with normal variants, we can improve atrophy. We're also looking at some neuroprotective type medications that maybe can protect the photoreceptor layer that Usha talked about as being vital in the pathogenesis of geographic atrophy. So there is a lot of research going on right now. Hopefully, some of those will will reach uh, our patients in the future. But certainly, we're working very hard on this. Usha, what are some of the resources? for support? You know, patients with geographic atrophy, obviously right now we have no treatment, but what are some of the things we can do as physicians to allow them to continue to live safely and, and more importantly, independently?
1: In the UK, at least, we have low vision support facilities, so trained vision scientists who help patients understand how they can change their fixation to allow them to see critically important things like you know the labels on food items and also in terms of safety knowing where and how to turn your cooker on and off and your kettle on and off etc so and tips that can be given to people about changing the color of their crockery and so that they can see how to pour hot liquids into cups without scalding themselves
0: so, David, uh, have you, first of all, used some of these resources? And, and more importantly, are there any tips, advice that you can give us that you would recommend to someone living with geographic atrophy to help their lives?
2: Yes, I think that there are plenty of things in the marketplace, from small cost to, you know, quite expensive things. Basically, try the very simple things from things like bumpons, you know, I separate my keys on my key bunch. With uh, you know different shapes and bumps, so I know you know what the keys do. It's often very simple things that help. There is technology there. Smart speakers are great. There are more things that are voice operated now, and will continue to be that way. So I think that's you know technology can help. Technology is an issue because in a lot of ways uh, things are going more on the computer and uh, online, and, and that's harder for people with sight loss, of course. So. But the technical gadgets do help.
1: David, I too want to ask you a question. So you talked about smart speakers. Now, you're relatively young and you're tech savvy. Did you find these hard to program and get right? I mean, do you think somebody in their 80s would be able to use these kind of gadgets easily?
2: They need someone younger to set them up, so someone in their family. I mean, I even recommended uh, these gadgets to two totally blind people, and they thought they were great, hadn't come across them before. But it does need people to set them up. So, yes, an 80-year-old would probably struggle, uh, and they obviously need the internet as well. So it's, uh, it is the way, the future. There are more help out, out, out there for people.
0: So David, how about friends and family? What would you tell your friends and family about how they could help you with this condition so that may help other patients?
2: I think that's the first thing, you know, you don't realize that uh, you, you do need help. You know, especially when you're first diagnosed, you may not do. But as the disease progresses, you need more help. And you have to be willing to ask for help. It's not easy, but that's the case. So often I think part of the problem is it's an invisible disability. It's not that obvious that you can't see some of the things that you can see. And it's very hard also for people to help you to actually tell them what you can see and can't see. Uh, I think people are more worried about... You tripping over things and that sort of thing, but that's generally not quite so bad. It's it's more helping with you know the admin of life. Um, it gets very difficult. Basically, uh, they want to help you. You know, my, my my children help me with gadgets and different things to try out. But it, but it is hard for them. You know, especially my wife. You know, I mean, you know, just to set up anything and just doing a standard Zoom is very difficult.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating how technology has really improved the lives of patients with macular degeneration. You know, two things come to mind. One is is an app on the phones that basically convert whatever you look, shine the camera at, it it literally translates and reads the label to you, which I find absolutely fascinating. So, Usha and David, I really it's been a super discussion with you today. I really hope. Our listeners have found this as interesting and helpful as I have. Would either of you like to add anything else before we finish? Usha, I'll start with you.
1: Yes, I I think it's important to emphasize the fact that when you have wet AMD in one eye, that doesn't mean to say that you're unlikely to develop geographic atrophy in the other eye. In fact, there is a high proportion of people with wet AMD in one eye, the fellow eyes at risk of both wet AMD and geographic atrophy. Patients need to be counseled and told that they've got AMD and the fact that they've got the dry or the wet form should not be emphasized in a manner that makes them think that they're just going to only have the dry or the wet form. This disease is a continuum and the phenotype whether you have neovascularization or geographic atrophy uh, is very much um, a mixture and therefore it's important for patients to know this so that they can take the appropriate steps over time they suddenly develop the features of wet AMD in the eye with geographic atrophy or the fellow eye.
2: David, any final closing thoughts? Yes, I have a, a question to ask you both, really. Geographic atrophy, the decline you know, of your eyesight, is it a simple straight line, downward slope, or does it tail off after so many years? What does it look like if you, if you measured acuity versus time line?
1: Oh, that's a tough question, David, because not everybody behaves in the same way, okay? But if we look at averages, in the first part, when the acuity is good, the slope can be more steep. But over time, as the visual acuity in the eye drops, the slope does shallow off. And because patients hardly ever go completely blind at the end, the line is a flat line but never reaching baseline. However, the, the nature of the slope or the, the rapidity of decline can vary from patient to patient.
0: Well, I really would like to thank both of you. Uh, this was fascinating, and hopefully our listeners have found it uh, enlightening. And we look forward for all of you to join us in future podcasts. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Eyes on Retina podcast series by Boehringer Ingelheim episode on exploring geographic atrophy with myself. And I was joined today by Professor Usha Chakravarthi and David Matthews. Don't forget to click subscribe or follow to listen to our next episode.